And I can remember having this conversation with this God I didn't believe in and saying, please, please don't, please don't let another baby die. Please, I, I've, I've, you know, I'm not a bad person. I don't believe in you. I really don't believe you exist. But if you do exist, I've not done anything. I, I don't deserve to be punished. I don't deserve to be punished. Please, you know, my baby doesn't deserve to be punished. Please let my baby. And I just thought, you know what? I'll try anything. I'd done anything I could in that pregnancy to, to keep my baby. Hello, my name's Giles Fraser, and this is the podcast where we talk to interesting and well-known people and we try and, well, work out what they're all about. And uh, today with me is the lovely Julia Hartley Brewer, who um, is one of those people that I suppose people have strong feelings about, Julia. I'm a bit Marmite, yes. (laughs) It's rare that I'm introduced as lovely Julia Hartley Brewer, (laughs) even by my own husband. (laughs) But yeah, I suppose you are a bit marmite, aren't you? There, there, and and you get you get you, you like a fight, don't you? I do like a fight. I think my, my entire Twitter experience, or even real life experience, is people go, "You're vile. You're the b word, the c word." This and I love you. Keep up the good work. You're my hero. <laughs> oh, okay. it, it's, it's literally there is nothing in between. Well, other than the who the hell are you? Which is <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> So who the hell are you? Let's do that bit. Where do you come from? Tell me all about that. That's where we usually start this. I have always struggled with this where do you come from thing where people say, oh, you know, I'm from Somerset or I'm from Yorkshire. And people and they, they have this identity. I don't really have that identity. I was born to two um, Londoners who went as students to Birmingham University. Um, and I was I was born to them in Birmingham, spent the first seven years there, moved to America with mum and stepmum a couple of years there. Uh, in the Midwest, and then and then a couple of years back in London, and then six years in Bath, and then back. Did you say to mum London. and stepmum? Mum, mum, and stroke. No, mum and stepdad. I was going to say they're that not, would be not, interesting. They're not that woke. Um, <laughs> and no, so I moved around a lot. So I, for years, I would say Bath was home because that was where I spent formative years and teenage years. Uh, my mum was training to be a doctor there. Uh, but then I've been in London pretty much from the age of about seventeen onwards, other than uni. You're a citizen I, of the world. I, I, if I have to say I'm from anywhere, I would say I'm from London, although I wasn't born. Here. So that is a sort of citizen of the nowhere type of type of oh, thing, isn't it? Except I hate those people. Yes, yes, but that is you. But I, I feel very much, I feel very much British, but I do feel London. But I do think it's quite strange. I don't feel that, I don't feel that affinity, that identity with any particular place as a sort of a, you know, people who go, I love Liverpool. I am Liverpool. You know, people who feel it in their bones. I don't feel that. So let's just describe that. Tell me about a little bit about your mum and dad and about the home that you will brought up uh, yeah well um because they were students uh, they were both uh, from you know working class homes um my mum says she denies this she says they weren't working class because her dad owned a fish and chip shop in penge so they were they thought they were the posh people in the street fair enough uh, <laughs> okay. but we're both grammar school kids very very important oh, part I of see, their, okay. their their lives uh, and first generation university that time in the 60s where this was you know this the whole world was being opened up to them uh, very much on the left um and so um so the grammar school thing is like that that that's that sort of part of of that sort of working class, get on, yep. get out, get up. Absolutely, absolutely. Very sort of aspirational. Yeah, and um, I, I grew up in a home. My, my mum and dad broke up, I think, when I was about six months old. I had an older brother. Um, and then we, we were, my mum was basically, went to put herself through medical school uh, on her own uh, with two kids How divorced. How did she afford to do that? Uh, we didn't have to afford to do it. Again, it was full, it was, hey, it was even free when I did it. Uh, but yeah, you know, grants available. Um, you know, my dad used to pick us up from nursery school. Um, and yeah, it was very much always this very sort of aspirational uh, home. But, 
um, yeah, parents split up, both remarried. We moved off to the States. Uh, but my dad uh, was involved in politics. I've got very vivid memories of the 70s. My dad was a special advisor to um, the health secretary, Ennals, during the Callaghan government. And my stepmom then worked in number 10. So I had this wonderful experience where in 1979, do you remember when the, uh, you're old enough to remember this, when the, the schools were all closed because they didn't, you know, they couldn't keep the lights on. And I'd be shipped off to my stepmom's office. So I'd just get the bus down and I'd arrive at number 10 before the gates were there. And I would literally knock on the door of number 10. No. Say, come, can I come in, please? I've got to spend the afternoon with, with your homework and sit yep, in the corner. Of absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was really bizarre. And of course, uh, uh, my, my dad did tra- uh, attempt to be a Labour MP a couple of times in the Midlands and uh, failed and then left politics. Uh, my mum, that around that time, became a GP. Um, <coughs> yeah, and so they've, they've done very well in life. And I, I do have the experience of sort of seeing this sort of very middle class experience. And I, you know, I'm, I suppose I was raised middle class. I'm certainly raising my daughter, I suppose, upper middle class. We one generation on now but very much still have that sort of working class low middle class sensibility that runs through everything that I do yeah I can and see certainly that. every penny that I spend I can see that it's actually a combination of that aspirational thing yep. which you still have that drive yep. and that sort of like um aspirational working class conservatism um, yeah, except, is- except I grew up in a labor home I grew up absolutely staunchly, staunchly Labour. Grew, grew up in a Labour home. Yeah, so my dad's just been MP twice. Uh, no, it was it was Labour through and through. I remember very vividly in my teenage years going SDP. I've never, but I've never actually been a member of any political party. Uh, my vote has gone all across the board uh, over the years, um, and even in the same year, different parties uh, when there's been multiple elections. Uh, but I, uh, I, I vividly remember going to the SDP, and I remember we lived opposite uh, the Tory agent for Margaret. Thatcher back in uh, uh, Goodner Walk Club, what year? It's been 87. And, and, and I remember between my A level exams going off to vote, but um, I was SDP, my parents were Labour, and all these different posters. So I had SDP, they had Labour, the opposite, we had the Tory. Um, but yeah, I, the politics was, was, was moving even at that early age. So at school, um, Which school, uh, bog standard comp, went to four primary schools, wasn't booted out of any of them just because my parents moved around, uh, went to a Absolutely bog standard comp, although a girls comp. Uh, this were last... you trouble? Were you a bit of trouble when you say well, weren't voted out? Sort of. I was allowed to be a prefect for two weeks. <laughs> And that was under sufferance. Why were you I, trouble? Because you were I, gobby. I was gobby. I was bored by the schoolwork. Uh, I think I was probably relatively bright. Um, but um, it wasn't a very good school. I had brilliant mates. Um, still got most of those mates now to this day. One of them's got mum to my daughter. And a uh, oh, pagan parent, really, were atheists. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, it, it was fun. But it was a part. It was partying fun. I was. I vividly remember. I don't think my mum knows this yet. Um, I was. I was working in a nightclub at fourteen, collecting glasses. <laughs> um, not sure you're supposed to do that at fourteen. Um, yeah, no, and then uh, and then moved on to sixth form college. It wasn't working out at school. I was on for some very bad grades. Uh, moved to a sixth form college in North London. Again, very uh, living with my dad. Very uh, just standard state uh, sixth form college, and absolutely changed my life. Um, brilliant, brilliant head teacher there. Um, brilliant teachers in all of my classes, uh, and ended up getting three grade A's. And then I've taken a gap year applying to Oxford. And, and going there. And it was just an absolute game changer for me. Going to Oxford? Yeah, absolutely. It was the first place I felt... Posh oh, College? Posh College Magdalen, very much a posh college, yeah. New people like George Osborne and um, what was it, Louis Theroux and and, uh, and people like that at, at uni. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a real changer for me because it was so different. And the really weird thing is, it's the first time I felt like, oh yeah, I, I, I fit in here. And not because it was posh, but it was just the sort of 
just I suppose I suppose the academic thing and, and just finally sort of found it not that I did much work at uni either I was a much better punter and poorer of pimps than I was uh, at uni but I, I always seem to muddle I seem to muddle through I have my own punting key I'm not going to lie to you <laughs> But but nonetheless, you were there and stimulated yep. by the yeah. uh, environment. Yes, it was really exciting and and it was fun. And these people were all so go get and had so many, had so much energy and were just so excited about life. But also very aware. I became incredibly aware, having gone to a comp, how, how different people were who'd gone to private school, and that that sense of entitlement, not in a nasty way even, but just sort of the world was your oyster, and how well read they were, how well educated they were. And it was one thing that has convinced me that grammar schools are vital. Uh, it's uh, going to Oxford and being surrounded by a load of private school kids. Now, I'm trying to. What, what I want to work out, I suppose, is where the Julia Hartley Brewer fire comes from. Yeah. Because you do have a fire, and you have. I mean, part of why people, I suppose, the Marmite thing, but mm. but why people love what you say, or and I suppose it. also <laughs> hate it. Yes, but but is because there is a sort of passion for wanting Everything. to change the world. <laughs> but I mean, there's a particular There's a particular. It's it's. I, I want to call it political, but it's not quite political. Is no. it's broader than that? It's it's some sense of how the world should be. I, but I'm I'm someone I have an opinion on on everything from you know Brexit to how you load the dishwasher. I mean, just just take a moment, everybody, and have a have a thought for my poor long suffering husband. I do, <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> you do. We are all feeling for him now. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I've always been. I think opinionated is the polite word. Um, but I have been from word go. I always wanted things my own way. Not not in a, not in that. Sort of like a sort of little, little, you know, Lord. But, 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 but the way you, so you, you're you're being uh, attractively disparaging about yourself slightly. But if I ask you, what is what is more to your opinions than yeah. simply being opinionated? Because there is, there, I, I'm I'm wanting to get at. I don't care about how you load the dishwasher, but it, it is. But you're not just that. It's not just I've got an opinion about everything because there is some. There is a sort of. Uh, a sense of how the world should be about yes. you, which is, uh, and I want to just understand how that it, it's sort of its origins, its mm. core, what okay. it where, where it. Um, I think I think certainly from my mum there was always this sense of you know we were really lucky uh, you know we we got dealt a good a good hand in life. I think if you're born, I think if you're born in Britain, <laughs> you're born into a loving family, um, divorce or not, it's still a loving family. Um, and and if you're born you know relatively bright and you know able to get on in life. I, I, you know, you, you, you're a silver spoon. That is, you know, you're a top 1% in the world at that point. And this notion that actually, you know, that, that if you're not born with a lot of those things or any of those things, that life is a lot harder and and wanting wanting life to be fairer. Or I've always been aware that I've, I've had a good lot in life. And, and I've also always been brought up with this view, again, people think it's like it's Marxist, but it's not. It's, it's from each according to their ability, to, you know, to each according to their need. So one of the things I find difficult is when people say, oh, you're some awful right-wing Tory. I mean, I'm not, I don't have, I'm, I'm, I don't have a party affiliation. I'd probably consider myself more conservative with a, uh, with a capital C rather than a small C now, but only where the parties stand now. I'm not a socialist. But yeah, it's, it's, I, I was certainly always brought up with this idea that, that you know, the, the world should be a better place and it should be a fairer place and it should be about equality of opportunity and whether that's about um, getting health care, whether it's about uh, you know getting a decent education, having somewhere decent to live. Um, they, yeah, these are important issues to me, but also things like you know personal freedom, that's something which I think you know the left has almost forgotten about, the liberal left certainly, that actually you know be, being free to do what you want to do and living your life freely without the, t- the state, without someone telling you what to do as long as you're not harming others, is definitely a, a great Growing, a growing feeling for me, yeah. right, a growing right, right. passion. And what makes you not 
I mean, in terms of what your worldview is, what makes you not that sort of photo fit right winger? I suppose when I, I often get people getting crossed with me on Twitter because they, I, I, I expose that you know I'm, I'm a committed atheist. I mean, I would not have a single faith school. Uh, I think uh, it's absolutely shocking that we should have faith schools in this country. I'm also a Republican. I, I don't understand. I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure if the Queen, I'm sure if the Queen stood for election tomorrow, she'd win hands down. I've got no problem with that. But she should stand for election. I don't believe. I think it's extraordinary to live in a country in the 21st century where people get cross about a, a prime minister who's gone to Eton uh, and. And yet they don't get cross about the fact that we choose our head of state from one family. I, I find that so bizarre. So both of those, I mean, you say those two things together, the sort of atheist and the Republican. Now, they, they, they both suggest to me a sort of, even though there's a lot of passion, which may be a misdirection here, there's a sort of bit of a rational, the rationalist yes. in you, yeah. which is that these things don't rationally... They don't make sense to me. I, I find it strange. Yeah, I mean, I'm, for instance, I, I remember writing a piece uh, when Jeremy Corbyn got in trouble because he, he wouldn't sing the national anthem. I said, well, I don't sing the national anthem. You know, I, God save our queen. OK, well, I, I, someone I don't believe in should save someone I don't think should be in that job. No, <laughs> I can't do it. And so, and so that doesn't tie in with what I'm supposed to be, this Brexiteer or Conservative... And and, and that definitely doesn't yes, tie in yes, at all. Yes, yes. Um, but those are things that I will never compromise on. And I know I get into trouble for those things. I've probably lost a lot of jobs, which, you know, you know these mid-market tabloid columnist jobs, which would be going to someone who perhaps would sign up to some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, but but mostly, no, I mostly, I feel... I feel that OBE's not on it. On, no, on it. It's, not, it's not in the hey, post, is it? I'm holding out for Empress. No. <laughs> and again, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't take an on. I think honours are ridiculous and absurd. Yeah, I can um, see that. But that's I, I think they're that... patronising when they're given to lollipop, lollipop ladies. And I think they're outrageous when they're given to uh, people who've been earning six-figure salaries. So this is what I've learned about you there, and I think there is something about this which I've never sort of quite twigged before, that actually, that that amongst all of the sort of... Uh, talking at a thousand miles an hour and getting passionate about things. And actually, there is a sort of nub of this rash, rationalism. Yeah. You know, if it doesn't make sense, it makes you angry. Yes, but also about it's got to be fair, meritocracy. I feel I feel very strongly about fairness. I, I'm one of those people that gets very, very, very upset if if people, for instance, you know, push in a queue without any good reason. I mean, if you can wangle your way to the front of the queue using charm and delight and no one notices, play it play to you. But people, <laughs> but people who people who just sort of you know do that. Or, or, yeah, I, I, so I, sharp elbowed, sharp elbowed middle class um, parents and so forth. That's okay. Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm one of those people, genuinely, I would shake the hand of any parent who, who lied to get their kid into a decent school because I don't think that is unfair. I think that it's, it's unfair that they've ever had to do that. That's the unfairness. Yeah, I, I, it, it's the notion that, that people should... Should should get their fair dues, and then that people shouldn't be prevented. Whether it's again, whether it's from your, your upbringing, your parenting, your, your your parentage, your 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 colour, your gender, your race, all of those things, they shouldn't prevent anybody from getting ahead. I feel very strongly about that. Um, so very, meritocracy and fairness are very big issues for me. So let me ask you. Let me ask you one a question just to sort of test out this rationalism. See, it's, it's, see, oh, it's, I'm going to now completely undermine myself. No, no, no. It's not. No, it's. I'm, I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to trip you up. I'm really not in trouble. I'm trying to understand it because one of the things about going to, um, so I know Magdalen a little, little bit. Your college has the most beautiful chapel. I mean, this yeah. sort of beautiful space. And so I went to it twice. And is that so? I'm not. I'm not really asking about religion. I suppose I'm asking about one thing that I imagine is sort of like 
I don't know, between religion and rationality, which is beauty or mm. art or culture or something like that. Do you do you sort of sit down and listen to Bach or do you sort of like... Is... I think my cultural education was fairly limited, I have right. to say. I, okay. I've actually, my husband and I have actually gone through a process of sort of culturally educating ourselves since, you know, sort of going to see ballets and operas and, and you know, just trying to see some of the, the good stuff. You know, hey, if, if other people are saying this is great, maybe, maybe it's great and, and really enjoying a lot of it. Not all of it, I'm not going to lie. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I love I love beauty. I love, I love beautiful buildings. I, I think I've been very lucky to live in nice areas. It was very important to me to live in a nice street. That's something to me that's absolutely worth spending money on and being around, you know, lots of green and things. Um, that sort of particularly ornate sort of church architecture doesn't really do much for me. The Gothic me, stuff, no. no leaves me fairly cold but um but um no but I mean, certainly I can remember when you know when Notre Dame was burning down and and having a genuine sort of visceral emotional reaction and 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 being physically upset crying at the thought of this beautiful amazing building that who, whose architecture I didn't particularly like being destroyed and thinking well that's weird why, why, why would, do you feel it's, that? It's, it's bricks and mortar. And I suppose it is. It's about, it's about our culture. It's about history. It's about beauty. So do you destroyed. have a sense of heritage and things like that? Is that does that I think increasingly as I get older, yes. I turned uh, uh, 51 this year. And I, yes, I think it's one of those things you become much more aware of, I think, when you have a child as well. Right, right. Yeah. You know, what are, what are you handing on to your child? Not yes. not just you know in in terms of inheritance or things like that, but just in terms of the world. A lot of people, a lot of people who are who are not religious at all suddenly bump into something they don't quite understand or explain or something when they when they have children. It becomes a sort of become spiritual. You're so, just. I mean, I, I'm not trying to make too much of it, but they sort of there is something that begins to sort of like exist in in the outside of the corner of their eye that they can't quite. No, I. So I, I am the least spiritual person yeah. you will ever meet. I, I, I genuinely, I don't get it. I believe you. I mean, one of the issues at the moment is my daughter wants to be Jewish now because we live in North London. We're going to these wonderful bat mitzvahs, you know, the girl equivalent to the bar mitzvahs. And uh, she goes, why can't I be Jewish? I went, OK, even if you converted, we're still not buying you the big party. It's not <laughs> happening. Um, but no, actually, the, the religion thing, it's interesting. I say my parents were atheists. They were raised, uh, one, I think, a Methodist, one Catholic, uh, but were atheists by the time they were teenagers. They're scientists, so there's a well, lot of... I suppose, to a certain it's just one of those things where once you're raised by atheists, um, as an atheist, it's, I think, virtually impossible to even get it. It's either this, the idea of this religious gene makes sense to me, that it's almost not been imparted. I almost don't have the capability of it. And the only time I've ever come close, well, a couple of occasions. One is a very close friend of ours lost her son um, and was absolutely devastated by it. And she, she questioned her, she was very religious, questioned her faith in God. And I had, God, I had to keep my really, really had to bite my lip to say, you know, she wanted comfort from her God, but also somehow believed that her God had taken her son from her. And I really, really struggled to comfort her without, you know, with this, without having this religious core behind it. But the other was, um, I went through four miscarriages. Um, I had one before my daughter was born and, uh, and, and three subsequently and three rounds of IVF that failed uh, to have another child. We didn't manage it, but I'm incredibly lucky and happy to have my one healthy, beautiful girl. But I can remember the only occasion on which I really thought, you know what, I'll take a punt. Maybe there is a God. Um, was, um, I mean, I didn't have any, the first miscarriage, I, mean, I didn't for a moment question at all. You know, of course, we're just going to go in 12 weeks again. Everything's fine. Been having morning sickness and then discovered the baby had died. Uh, absolutely devastated. I mean, absolutely knocked for six by this. I'd wanted a baby all my life. I was 36. Um, and then having my daughter. And I can remember that uh, that scan 
I remember lying there with my fingers crossed. I don't know why I thought that would help at all as well. That's just as silly. I'm lying there with my eyes closed as the lady puts all the guns on your tummy. And you've had five kids, you've seen it all. And then put the, uh, you know, the, the son, whatever it is, the, the, the machine on. And, and I can remember having this conversation with this God I didn't believe in and saying, please, Please don't, please don't let another baby die. Please, I, I've, I've, you know, I'm not a bad person. I don't believe in you. I really don't believe you exist. <laughs> but if you do exist, I've not done anything. Sort of desperation. I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't deserve to be punished. I don't deserve to be punished. Please, you know, my baby doesn't deserve to be punished. Please let my baby. And I just thought, you know what? I'll try anything. I'd done anything I could in that pregnancy to, to keep my baby. And uh, and I was willing to like, hey, you know what? It's Do, worth a try. Can I, can I, this, this question might sound ruder than it's, it's intended to be. It's not intended to be rude at all. So forgive me if it does. But uh, how do I put it? Is there anything that shuts you up? <laughs> no. That's, I, what I mean, is there anything that makes you, makes you sit there and just go, just, whoa. And just shut up and just. When I hear it, no, I, that's a lie. Because when I do you know hear what I'm about children, no, I do. No, I'm trying to I'm think. Not... It, it's 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 when I hear about sort of children being hurt. I think that's I think that's when I do because I'm I'm so so horrified horrified by that, and that has so been formed, of course, by also losing my own children and sort of people not appreciating and not not realising just how lucky you are to have a child um, after the pain we went through uh, and people mistreating their children. That that always knocks me for six and it's one of the things that will, yeah, make me sort of catch my breath. Yeah, yeah that's what I suppose what I meant. OK, well, that's all. I've, I've got a much clearer picture of you now than I had before. Um, so journalism. Mm -hmm. Journalism becomes the... Was that always going to be the career? I think, yeah, I looked at politics. Uh, it was a possibility. I, genuinely, I, I would have struggled, I think, to have a political party that would have represented where I was and I'd probably to toe the line. SDP uh, then, was it? SDP then, again, but, you know, I've, I voted... Well, it's to be Labour, Lib Dem, Tory, uh, Brexit party at the last European elections, uh, UKIP, uh, the previous ones, everything to push that Brexit vote. Uh, but again, like, you know, when there's been local elections and, part, and, and mayoral elections, and general elections I voted you know, I think four different parties in one election once for different candidates who I happen to know of different parties um, yeah I think always the journalism I did it at uh, Sixth Form College uh, did it on the, the university paper uh, at Oxford oh, well, yeah, and then and then carried on I always kind of knew that was where I was going to end up yeah yeah and then radio was complete accident Complete accident. I mean, you started on on, on Prince then, did you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I started, uh, I, I did some work experience at the Times. I, I started on the East London Advertiser in Bethnal Green. Um, you used to take it, Ron, no, kid you not. Uh, no, it's Reg Cray used to call up from Maidstone Prison. Uh, no. Quite the most, I wanted to talk to our news editor, Ron. You know, talk, I'm going to talk to you about Ron. You know, <laughs> just hilarious. No. Um, Charlie Cray used to come in the office every week. Yeah, and That's now, scary. Yeah, Remarkably unscary man though. Oh really? Egg, yeah, egg-stained tie and yeah, very unconvincing as a as a as a baddie. Um, he went down for some drugs ring. And you think yeah, this man this man was not capable of running a drugs ring. No, but it was great fun. I mean, it's, it's some as a place to uh, to start out your <coughs> training onto the Evening Standard and then through to the political desk there and then um, the Guardian and the Sun then the Sunday Express. A weird the Guardian. A weird, I worked at the Guardian for one year, three months, two days. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> Terrific experience. <laughs> I, it's, it was it was genuinely one of the most unpleasant places I've ever worked. It was so backstabby and bitchy, and and people who would sit there and be friendly with each other. And one thing you will always know with me is I will say it to your face, not behind your back. Oh, I sort of loved it there. Oh, <laughs> and it utterly nice. grim. <laughs> so, 
and and all this time, you're this, but you're working as a reporter, not as a commentator. Yeah, person. I was a reporter, and I became a commentator on the Sunday Express. When I was a political editor, you end up writing comment pieces. And then when I had my daughter, the whole working a Tuesday to Saturday wasn't really going to work with my husband, who runs an IT business from Monday to Friday, and we both quite like the idea of spending more than twelve hours with our family together. Um, so I yet moved to be a columnist there. Um, I have to say, I mean, part of that really was not just, just wanting to be more, spend more time with my child and my family, but also just realising that oh, it's a terrible thing you know, that newspapers were were on the downhill slope. Um, and I'd moved into the political reporting, which I loved anyway, but also because I noticed political journalists managed to nab a lot of the good news stories. You know, when Diana died, it became a political story straight away. Big education story becomes a political story. Until it gets boring again. They hand it back to the news reporters. So I'd, moved, I'd enjoyed that aspect of it. And then I found, you know what, commentating is where the future is for, for journalism and newspapers, because especially with 24-hour moving news and social media, actually you know, people aren't looking to get their news from the papers. They don't realise actually a lot of the news online is from newspapers um, originally. But um, yeah, and then the radio thing happened quite by chance. I left the Sunday Express. Uh, I, I'd been unhappy there for some time. We decided you know, we're not going to have another child. It's not going to work. Uh, I'm going to take three months off. I'd had a rotten time. I had so bad, so many. I had all the miscarriages. I had loads and loads of morning sickness, basically bedridden for two months every time I got pregnant. I went, do you know what? I'm going to have a few months off, saved up some Josh. I'm going to relax. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to lunch. I'm going to, you know, sort out the house and be organised. Two weeks later, I had a job at LBC uh, as, a, as a, a presenter there. Stayed there four years. Again, I'm going to take some time off. Three days in. Lost the will to live. It turns out I'm rubbish at being a lady who lunches. So went freelance. And then and then the job at Talk Radio came up. I just found out they were launching a new station. Wrote an email and said, hello, would you like a presenter? And uh, next thing you know, I was a presenter there in 2016. So, yeah, th- um, three years on. And you're good at it, aren't you? I, I could see, oh, like I think most sane people, I can't listen to myself. So I can't really judge. We do all right. The figures are going up and up and up. It seems to be OK. They seem to like me. What, what's the skill? What is the skill? Well, as my husband said, getting paid for something you'd do anyway. <laughs> Telling people he, how to load the dishwasher. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 did, he did say, when I started in my first radio job, he did say to everyone, you know what, I thought this is brilliant. She's going to be three hours on air. She's going to be talked out by 6pm. He goes, no chance. Oh, dear. I do sorry, feel sorry for your He's poor He's a husband. happy boy. <laughs> Does he answer back? Of course he does. Oh, does he? Okay, okay. Oh, God, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have married a man. Okay, okay, that. okay, okay. He's not stoic in the in the face of... Stubborn sort of, is the word. Stubborn. Blo- my bloke from Stoke, no, he takes no nonsense <laughs> from me. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Of course not. Do you... In that time when... The, just, we'll just go back to that. I just wanted to pause. Do you ever get... Um, because you're so relentlessly upbeat as well, aren't you? You presenters, you presenters. Yeah, I mean, I think upbeat. on air, I don't, I don't. I tell you, one of the things I, I really resent is when someone goes on air on radio or TV, and then there's a good old whinge, but oh, oh, I have to get up so early, and I have to get up for work at four forty. You know, but I'm paid well for it, and it's a good fun job. You know, I've done some really cruddy jobs in my time. I've done, I've you know, I've, I've you know, I've been a cleaner. I've worked as a waitress, and those are bar work. I've made pub lunches. You know, I've worked in a burger takeaway chopping onions all day. I've done. My my fair share and you know what sitting on the you know being well paid to sit on the radio in the morning is pretty good as it goes I really resent people who who, who are on good salaries like these BBC people constantly whinging and moaning about their poor lot in life get over yourselves you know try being a long distance lorry driver try you know try working down the sewers try you know try doing half the jobs most people who are listening to you are doing so there isn't a sort of black dog thing that stalks you at all and so forth you don't no. have that uh... no and I'm not no I get in a mood I'm quite <clears throat> old uh, uh, you know I mean I get cross about things and, and certainly I've had 
I've had enough sadness over these. Uh, but uh, no, I think I'm sure. I'm sure I got uh, I got pretty low when I was losing the babies. That was that was a really hard time. My husband, I God, we we struggled for a few years. We really did. But no, I think um, I'm mostly a glass half full person. I'm not. I, I, this isn't fake. I genuinely I feel incredibly lucky. I am very much someone who, if I was in a car crash and I broke my leg, I would be someone who goes, "Thank God, I just broke my leg." Whereas other people I know would be, oh my God, I could have died, I could have died, how awful, let's sue someone. I am, I'm very much, in the same way, say like, I feel so incredibly lucky to have the job I have. Incredibly lucky to, you know, I've got my family all in good health. Um, you know, we, we're all, we get on. I've got, I've, frankly, my dream husband and I've got my dream child. And I, I genuinely, I have to pinch myself how lucky my life is to the extent I'm thinking something's got to go wrong soon. But I do, I do think that people, wherever you are in life, and whatever you, you, you can be grateful for the the stuff that really matters. And I suppose the right wing thing that gets attached to you is partly to do with the fact that, um, that some people may see your sort of like everything's half full rather than half mm. empty. When applied to those people who are, you know, at the bottom uh, of the pile, at the bottom of the yeah. pile, it it would be a sort of like you know, pull yourself together, get up, mm. and and uh, yeah. rather than sort of what you may see as wallowing in there yeah, yeah. and and so the and but that that sense of don't wallow in it can also get confused for a lack of sympathy well, well, yeah, and, and callousness yes callousness but i think there's a difference isn't there between being sympathetic and empathetic and then trying to help and 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 i think and i suppose that's where that sort of left wing right wing difference is at the moment it seems to me a lot on the left is about sort of making an excuse culture and saying oh you know well look but, but but of course someone did badly at school they you know they 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 got a single parent family they they're living on a sink estate and and what chance did they have and well of course someone can't work they've uh, uh, you know they, they haven't got any qualifications and and constantly making excuses instead of saying right well, okay what can we do to what can we do to fix this i'm i'm very much a what can i do to fix this person so you know for instance you know whether it's work whether it's um, you know you lose a job you know i was lbc i had a contract and then suddenly I don't have a contract you know these things happen uh, one day I'm pretty sure it's a when not an if I'll be sacked by talk radio that that is the nature of the industry I'm in um, and you know I'll have a couple of I'll you know have a bottle of sunset have a couple of days of it for myself <laughs> and then I'll, I'll pick myself up and go right what next um, but I, I'm but I am fully aware and this is where people like Margaret Thatcher make me cross uh, is because I'm fully aware that I have been equipped from my family and my education and my health mental and physical, um, that I am able to do that. And that a lot of people aren't able to do that. I've got a close family member who uh, volunteers at Citizens Advice Bureau. And uh, one of my best friends uh, works in a dole office and works in a housing benefit office. She's the one, one of the people you know, handing out the food bank vouchers. And talking to them and getting that sort of first-hand experience of people I absolutely trust uh, on what's really going on. And I'm, I'm more and more aware of the fact that you know, not everyone comes equipped for coping with life. And there are lots of people who are struggling and they would struggle in almost any circumstance. They're not equipped, whether it's through what's happened to them as children, whether it's uh, just through their own uh, just abilities. Uh, you know, we're, we're not all equipped the same and, and a little bit more empathy and understanding, but also an expectation that you should do your best, whatever your best is, I think is a, I suppose is where, where I am in terms of my philosophy.
Yeah. Is that is that part... I mean, if there was a... They always say about vicars um, that deep <laughs> down we've only got one sermon. We've only really got one sermon. And then we play it out endlessly in lots of different that's ways. why I don't go it. to church. And that's like... But but is, the question is... I suppose the question is, is there, is there just one Julia Hartley Brewer column, really, at, <laughs> at, 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 at heart? Which well, gets, you know, played out in lots of different I, ways. I was... Uh, persuaded to try to start writing a book it never got further than that I think I got 10,000 words in and lost the will to live emailed my uh, uh, editor went don't even reply to this email I'm done if you would like you know a thousand words in half an hour I'm your girl. I could yes. knock that out right very quickly. Yes. I think pretty coherently. Um, but um, the, writing this book was just the bane of my life, and it hung over me like a big weight every day until I went, "I'm done. I don't want to do this." And the book was going to be called "Blame the Parents," and it was the thesis was basically actually, if you look at every single thing that goes wrong in society, everything we've got wrong, it, it's about parenting. Um, the obesity crisis, that's, my kid ain't fat, that's, that's a parenting issue. Um, uh, bad behaviour in schools, children not doing well in schools. You, you could come from a sinker state. If your parents care about education, you'll, you'll do better in school. Um, crime, uh, drugs, gangs. Um, I mean, so many, the, so many, you know, antisocial behaviour, uh, so many of the issues that we, that people just find difficult in their daily lives do come back to parenting I mean teaching your child I mean one of the things I want to teach my child massively is work ethic is you know you get up you turn up you know I, I go to work I'm, I'm not paid if I don't go to work I go to work when I'm feeling really really rough I've, I've almost lost my voice from a wedding this weekend it doesn't occur to me on a Monday morning you know with a hangover and four hours sleep that I won't go to work of course I'm going to work and, and, and I expect my daughter to do the same when she's old she goes to school um, and I think yeah I suppose I suppose that's quite a big a big part of life. That would for be the, me. that would be the. So one I think yeah, parenting. Like... I feel incredibly strongly about parenting. I really do, and and, and about this sort of this whole idea that, and I having very sixties lefty right on parents. This whole idea that you know parenting's a lifestyle choice, and 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 you know and and different parents do things different ways, and I just think yeah, but most of them don't work, do they? There's a lot that does work, and we know so what it is. So boundaries, rules, boundaries, rules, routine, bedtime, dinner times. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't reading to your kids, um, kids playing lots and lots of outdoor games and sports. I, I just this stuff is not. This is not you know rocket science. And video think, games. Don't, don't even not even. <laughs> I don't mind a little bit of the wee, you know, on a rainy Saturday afternoon with your mates, but no, otherwise no. And uh, telly now and again? No, telly, we, 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 do you know, we watch quite a bit more telly now, but I think if my daughter's come in after playing about three hours of netball after school, good God, let the child watch some Netflix. And those terrible mobile phones that... Uh... Yeah, we have, we've had a mobile phone since year six for walking home from school, but yeah, very much limited and certainly not allowed in the bedroom. And yeah, I, 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 my, my main thing is it's not what you're doing when you're on them, it's what you're not doing. It's the not actually having a conversation face to face with somebody. And yeah, well, look, we're as guilty of the older, uh, you know, pizza on the lap watching telly. But, you know, at least we're all watching the same thing together. Yeah, I found myself saying it. to my kids, why don't you watch more telly like normal people? I remember my parents saying we watch too much telly. <laughs> and now I'm telling them to because yep. at least telly is a communal experience. It is. Which you do at the same time rather than everybody. And now some of my kids, I'm not strict as you, but some of my kids, one of, one of my sons will sit there and we're all watching telly and he's watching something completely different. Yeah. At least he's YouTube, in the same room, watching though. YouTube clips. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. I think at least with TV and a TV series, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to actually take in a, a long script. A narrative, and, yeah. yeah. narrative and learn about characters. And, yeah, I just... Although, I've got to be honest, if I have to see one more episode of Friends, I might top myself. <laughs> just, I, know, I actually know them all, all ten series, off by heart now. But... 
<laughs> but a good lesson in life, I thought, actually. I'm just thinking about this parenting thing and how this, uh, it's a very, it's quite a 50s. I mean, it, p- people might say it's quite yeah. a sort of 50s, but maybe It's what nothing. works. Well, that's it. It's very much easier for me. I've only got the one and there are two of us. We're always, we're always in the majority. Um, but I, I, I au paired um, a few times in my late teens, early 20s. I had a three, five and eight year old in New York for six months. And they said uh, years later, you were the strictest nanny we ever had, but you were the most fun. I thought I'll yes. take that. Yeah, 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 I'll yeah. Take that. Well, we are the parents. Like, we are the parents who are out there, you know, uh, playing, you know, uh, in camouflage with with the old Laser Quest guns. We we are the parents, you know. If you go to Centre Parks, we're the ones on the rapids at nine o'clock being told <laughs> off by the lifeguards to get to go home. So we we are we are good fun. You're Melanie Phillips on speed, yeah. basically. Yeah, aren't you? baby. <laughs> well, I just. I've got now got this vision of you, which is fantastic in my head. Let's talk about. Let's talk about. Um, can, I, can I just say that there is nothing worse than being in a bikini at Centre Parks and having someone come up to you and want to talk about Brexit. Oh God, that's not. <laughs> you're true. sort of standing there going hello. Oh, about ten times. Yeah. Really? Yeah, horrific. I've never been to Centre Parks. It, it, it... It's well, it, it's it's sort of like Stepford, but for ugly people with tattoos, <laughs> and us. <laughs> it is though. It's real. It's very Stepfordy. And and. So Brexit. Yep. So have you been a lifelong Eurosceptic? No, no. I was a Europhile until oh god, when I was working, I was probably halfway through my time on the Sunday Express. Everyone said, "Oh, you got expressed," but um, I went there when it was actually Labour supporting paper. Interestingly, brief in its brief sojourn at that. And no, I was a Europhile because all the same people were Europhiles, right? You know, the Hesseltines and the you know the the Blairs and all that's the same middle of the road, you know, moderate, sensible people in politics were Europhiles. Didn't occur to me these weird swivel-eyed lunatics. Mm-hmm. But it didn't occur to me. It was it, it was years as a political editor calling up, either speaking to ministers or speaking to chief you know, directors of communications of government departments, saying, "Oh, well, it, no, we can't do anything about that because you know EU directive. No, no, that's an EU." Repeatedly being told that, going on a trip to Brussels and just seeing the amount of money and thought, "This is just a gravy train. This is a bureaucratic nonsense," and it grew from there. Uh, but certainly by the time that the referendum was called, yeah, I mean, f- I've been full scale for about four year, four or five years, yeah. It's, we have descended. I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm, I, I share your view about this, and I'm a no deal. You know, I'm a, oh, that's, that's I'm a no idea. dealer really. But we have our, our political space, our public space, our public discourse has become poisoned by all this, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I did an interview this morning with um, Alistair Campbell uh, talking about him leaving the Labour Party. Well, he's already been thrown out but not going back in. And he tweeted out, I'll be on you know, Julia's show on talk radio in a few minutes. And the first response was, feel free to call her the C word. You just think, wow. And, and now what would his views be? about? It? I, it, I only started getting abuse on Twitter. I and mean, I've been on Twitter since, uh, since 2012. The abuse only started after Brexit, where you're suddenly, you're a terrible, terrible, bad person. Um, and 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 I I can't what I can't work out is why people think that because I don't think less of someone for voting Remain I think there are perfectly good valid reasons to vote for Remain and a lot of it for even forgetting the economic side of things about your I suppose it's your philosophy about your view about uh, about you know how the world works and 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 how people work um, and yet I I find it really bizarre that the idea that voting for Brexit makes you a bad person or a stupid person and this ongoing thing that you know everyone who voted for Brexit is a a racist xenophobic uneducated idiot and you think you know you go to Twitter Twitter fights though don't you oh yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm amazed by people, given that I'm 5'11 as well. And I was called Julia Hartley Brewer going to a com. If you think I don't know how to handle myself in right. a pub fight, I mean, you know, think again. Um, I'm amazed that people will, will say the stuff that they say to me and think they can get away with it. Do you, do you think, but do you think us, that those of us who have a sort of access to these microphones in front of us and, and print and so forth, have contributed to the poisoning of, of, of this public debate and this space? Well, no, I mean, I was certainly. I, I I've never was insulted. I'm, I've never insulted anyone for voting Remain. I insult Ramonas or Romaniacs. I prefer Ramonas. It's less it's less uh, rude, I think. And I'm constantly being told off using that. But it's a very different thing from a Remainer. I know lots of people who voted Remain. My own family, many of them, um, who but who accept the outcome of democratic vote. It it, it never occurred to me. That, that so many people who consider themselves, especially the Liberal Democrats, I mean, Democrats is in the name of your party, for goodness sake, <laughs> that, that they would simply not accept. They never said before, well, if it's below 55%, I won't accept it. Or, mm. or if X or Y happens, I won't accept it. Or if it's not enacted for enough number of years, I won't accept it. I mean, all the different reasons. They all said to a man and a woman they would accept the vote. No one questioned that. Um and for them not to accept the outcome of the vote and to try to stop it. And when they say they're trying to stop a hard Brexit, they're not. And when they say they want a second referendum, they don't. They want to stop Brexit. They should be more honest about it. Um, in, fact, in fact, the, the fuck Brexit uh, or whatever. Well, not fuck. What was it? Was it not? Bollocks to Brexit. Bollocks to Brexit was the, the, the Lib Dem official campaign slogan at the European elections. Um, I suppose at least finally being honest about it. Um, no, I, 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 I don't understand why people have got so nasty, other than the fact that perhaps the lesson was learned to the uh, Scottish independence uh, referendum, uh, when that got incredibly vitriolic But as in well. terms of the nastiness, is, I mean, it is, it, is, it is something that's really worth reflecting on, isn't it? Because there's all that nastiness that, that's around. It's not just us, is it? There's around the Trump's... Oh yeah, uh, the, the Trump but I hate the comparison so with Trump and Brexit. No, I, I'm not trying to say no. I'm not trying to say the same things because I also hate that comparison. But nonetheless, you see in American public discourse yeah. the the fact that discourse has become poisoned and and it's not just uh, that we disagree. It's the the fact that you disagree with me makes you a bad person, yes. and your motivations are, are are evil and and bad and poisonous. And and you must be. You're, and you, the converse you must be is also true, which winds me I'm up. Which is that person. I'm a good be, be, person. Well, because you're you're made a good person because you have certain sorts of views yeah. and that's crazy to me it's not it's not that your views that make you a good or a bad person no. at all and the idea that you're virtuous because you believe in certain sorts of things but that, the, but that, but that has been going on I think for quite a long time I say even perhaps before, before the 2014 independence uh, uh, Scottish independence referendum it was also in that whole debate between left and right and someone who has sort of travelled on a journey and there are lots of things I still very much on the Labour side on lots of things from Lib Dem and lots of things from the True Party I mean there are bits I can pick and choose from each which is why I've got no party affiliation so I can definitely see both sides Go on, give on me your Labour what's your Labour side oh I mean I've got to say I mean, I'm, I, I don't really understand the privatisation of some of these uh, utilities and things like that I, okay. I think uh, a lot of that's absurd and uh, and and, and uh, I'm 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 not entirely sure that privatisation, part privatisation, attempts at the NHS is really going to work. No, there's there's a number of things okay. that I think they're quite sensible on. Uh, in theory, I'm not sure how it works out in practice these days. Certainly under the current regime. You're not regime. a Corbynista. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm very much a, I was very much a Blair girl on that front. Um, but it's there was there was already creeping in this idea that the left was good and they and they you know they 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 came from the heart and that the right were bad and they did things because they were beholden to big money that they uh, they 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 were nasty and they were they were money grabbing for themselves. Well, despite the fact that you know if you are in the public sector now and you vote and, and, and the NHS and teachers have always 
entirely now vote uh, on the left. Um, you're, you're actually paying for your, you know, you're, you're voting for yourself to get a pay rise. I mean, there is self-interest in a lot of people's votes. But the idea from the left that anyone who voted Conservative or anywhere on the right was a bad person out for it for themselves, as opposed to someone who perhaps wanted the same outcomes as you in terms of a meritocratic society and a fair society and, and you know, looking, up, looking after the people at the bottom of the pile. They could want the same things, but think there was a better way of going about it so that handing out more and more money, uh, as Tony Blair did and Gordon Brown did for years, it turns out doesn't actually alleviate poverty and help people's lives. So maybe there's a better way of doing it. And, and it's the idea that I used to think, you know, left and right, they wanted... Pretty much the same outcome, pretty much the issue that perhaps you know one side valued equality over the other side valued liberty, and it was about how you how you sort of dealt with the, the 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 balance between those two things, but also the idea that you had different views about how human beings were motivated and therefore how to make that happen. Now it's just I'm a good person because I'm on the left. You're a bad person because you're on the right. Full stop. Didn't you get chucked out of the Labour Party conference once? Uh, last year, I was um, I was banned from the Labour Party conference. I've applied for this year, but I'm yet to find out if I'm allowed <laughs> to come. What did you get banned for? I got banned for posting a, a funny video on Twitter about safe spaces when I was accused of mocking disabled people, which I've never done in my bleeding life. I was mocking safe spaces, which aren't for disabled people. Safe spaces are for people who can't cope with hearing from someone who disagrees with them, which is not the same thing. And I posted a video of my producer knocking on the door of this safe space, which we'd found at six in the morning before the show started. We were recording from the, st- the conference. No one else was around. We found this room. And I went, oh, let's record this. So the producer opens the door and says, oh, I wonder what's in here. And there I am in a bright pink coat going, boo. And um, and yeah, it had a million views online, and um, it made a lot of people very cross. All the right people, and I, yeah, I was banned from party conference. I was told I had to apologise. I had to take it down. And but there was apologize. no one in the. There was no one else there. That no, you of course were... not, because it was a joke. But you're not allowed to make jokes on the woke left now. Islam. Yes. I want to talk about Islam because, like, you've got views, and uh, so you're not a you're 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 not a. Well, I guess the combination of, I guess the combination of your hostility to religion, or oh, hostility, your, your, just, just in, your skepticism about religion, yes. skepticism, plus a sort of sense of, I guess, uh, not being entirely at one with the values. No, it's a cultural, it's a, it's an atheist, and it's also a feminist viewpoint. Uh, I have to say, um, I look, I, I, I have friends who are Muslim. I have a very good friend who converted to Islam. That provoked quite a lot of conversations, uh, and I have friends I think from pretty much every religion, uh, and 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 of none. Um, to you know, live your best life to each cause their own. I think there are issues in terms of people practicing religion in a certain way. Uh, a lot of that is actually cultural, I think, rather than religious. But you ban the burqa. Yeah, but that's got nothing to do with Islam. I, no. I would, I wouldn't ban the burqa. I oh, would ban people from walking around in public places covering their face, and that means the niqab, the burqa, the balaclava. I no less want to sit next to someone wearing a burqa in a restaurant, or walk past them, or stand on the tube next to them than someone wearing a balaclava. It is un. I, I'm, I'm going to use it. It's un-British. It's rude. It's bad manners. Unless you're covering your face because it's you know minus ten, uh, and you and you're walking through a snowstorm, or you've got a terrible cough and there's, uh, there's pollution. You should be showing your face when you speak to people or even when you're walking about a public place. I think it's, I think it's un-British, I think it's un-Western. Um, and, and I've interviewed, I think I've probably spoken about 20 women in depth about who wear the burqa or the kneecap in this country. And it always comes down to, I don't want to be looked at in a sexual way. 
Um, it doesn't. It's not about their god because actually, vast majority of the the many many hundreds of millions of Muslims in this world, of Muslim women as well, don't wear a face covering. Many don't even wear uh, the hijab, the the the, the, the scarf, headscarf. Um, but it always comes down to fundamentally. It, it, it says, "I am, I am pure. I am good. I don't show my face or my hair or my body in any way to men, and therefore I am untouchable." And what that says to me as a woman is that men like you are utterly apparently incapable of controlling your own sexual urges. And so if you see a woman's body then, you know, and I mean, you know, in a jumper and jeans, you're incapable of not raping her. And frankly, she deserves to be raped in that scenario for flaunting herself. But it also says to women like me, when I walk along next to a woman burka, she's saying, rape her. I'm a good person. Really? I'm, yes, it does. That's what it says to me as a feminist. It's about it's about putting the entire onus on women for what they wear. And my God, we fought as a feminist. We fought against that for decades. Yes, I can wear a mini skirt, and you still don't it, get to rape but, me. But isn't it isn't it people? I mean, isn't isn't there a problem with with telling women what to wear? We already we tell people what to wear all the time. Like going, to, you know, no shirt, no service. You can't wear your you can't wear a, you know, a bicycle helmet. Uh, no, sorry, a, a, a motorcycle helmet into a bank. Um, no, I don't think. No, not at all. I, I think we have uh, expected modes of dress for, in many areas of life, and and the whole point of this garment is it's it's a, it's not an expression of. A woman's right to wear what she wants is not even an expressive religion's view. It's a political ideology, um, and where women are forced to wear this garment in Iran, you know, what's what in Saudi Arabia and other countries, uh, the moment they get an opportunity not to wear it, Afghanistan, they rip it off well, they, in they, they, their they're droves. Not, they're not necessarily forced to wear it in Bethnal Green. They're not forced to wear it. And a lot of the women I've met who wear it, actually, their families are very unhappy with the fact they wear it. Their mothers don't wear it. They so they're not often being forced to wear it. Are, the, but it again, and that's where it's a political idea. Yeah, people can choose to wear a balaclava. I don't think it's a, you should be allowed to wear it. If you want to wear it in the privacy of your own home, that's your choice. It is not an expression <laughs> of freedom. It is not an expression <laughs> of, of women's, a woman's rights. Yeah. It is an affront. To take away your entire human identity in that way uh, is is not a desirable or good thing. And you're either doing it because you're trying to create other, you're being other, you are being different, you're making a statement. That's not healthy in our society. Uh, or you are trying, uh, you're, you're, you're doing it because you've been told all your life that, well, basically, if you don't do it, you're a slut. Uh, you're a bad woman. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not uh, a good Muslim. Um, there are, I say, most women in this world who are Muslim do not cover their faces. It's got nothing to do with Islam. It's not required in the Quran whatsoever. There's not a there's not a part of you that, uh, you know, we're coming to the conclusion of Love Island. I don't know if you. No, it's ha- no, it's already happened. Oh, is it? I discussed okay. it on my show today with three um, people, none oh, of whom had watched it. Oh, I see. Okay, so like, I, 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 but you know, when you have that sort of, I don't know what your views are. The alternative, yeah. That, that sort of, I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint a picture of like walking into culture, which is overly saturated by sort of cheap sexual imagery. And you know, but that, that, no, but this is a nonsense. And I've had and I've had Muslim women who wore the burqa say this to me. Oh, you know, oh, it's, you think it's okay for a woman to walk down the street wearing a bikini? Well, no. And women don't do that. I mean, ninety-nine point nine percent of us don't do that. We wear perfectly normal. What am I wearing? I'm wearing trainers, black jeans, and I'm wearing a, a jumper. I mean, you know, there's no cleavage. Most women don't actually walk around. 
that awful word that you use in tabloids, flaunting their bodies. They're just getting on with daily life. And um, no, I, 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 I mean, was it something like 60% of British people would ban the burqa? And again, I would ban it as part of banning all face coverings in public places, as, as those horrible, horrible uh, countries like France and Sweden and other countries are doing. You know, these are not horrible places where people are downtrodden and have no rights. This is about preserving preserving our culture, preserving British culture, preserving Western culture and freedoms. The, the rights of women as equal citizens, are of, that's very new. What that's is it, what, really, oh, really recent. I'm interested to know what it is about uh, um, Western culture mm. that you want to preserve, given how uh, religion in yeah. particular has been so uh, crucial shaping yes. in terms of uh, and religion. I absolutely accept that the Judeo-Christian culture and how that and particularly Protestant culture I think for, for Britain uh, has been absolutely vital I mean absolutely vital for the development of individual notion of individual rights you know one person well originally one man one vote um, women's rights uh, the, the the whole I mean just the whole civil rights movement in the West uh, particularly in America uh, but also the development of, um, of the Industrial Revolution I mean a lot of that does actually come down to these these notions of personal responsibility and your individual relationship with God. I absolutely accept that. But I don't want to get rid of a lot of that Judeo-Christian culture and history. I think that's vital. I want my daughter to know, uh, you know, carols and hymns and things like that. It's part of our culture, part of our, our, our literary uh, uh, culture. Um, but I think those things, uh, we, 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 we live in a, a free democracy. We live in a country where we have liberal values, where we are getting to the point where you know, two men and two women who are gay can walk along, hold hands, and and and, and kiss in public. In large, certainly in large parts of London, without facing abuse. Yes, there have been some horrific homophobic attacks. Uh, I was, you know, in a, in a relationship with a black man for a year and a half. I don't remember any point anyone ever uh, 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 abusing us or making a nasty comment. Uh, and that was God. That was thirty years ago, and, and, you know, and things have hopefully have got a lot better even since then. Um, we live in a society where we fought a lot for there to be this uh, the right to be an individual, the right to speak freely, the right to to think freely, uh, and, that. and I think a lot of that is is very much under threat if we don't defend those Western values. And because you've got a lot of atheists like me, you've got a lot of people who see a V, and they see it often as a yeah, well, I'll turn up to mass on I don't know you know something on something on the you know the Christmas Eve and, and a christening maybe to get my kid into a decent faith they've school. They've all gone now. They've, yeah. all, they've all pretty much gone. We've lost all of that. Yeah, lot now. but you've got but you've got you know it's it's it's, it's not it doesn't dominate. You can be CV and mm. it not really dominate your life mm. in the way that being a, a very devout Muslim would very much dominate your life. And and I do think that we need to hold on to some of those values that that are part of our culture and a lot of those are inverted commas, Christian values. Um, and, I, and I think that they are under threat and we should fight for them. So in, a, in, a, in, in many ways, you're, you're quite straight down the line liberal in yes. terms of the, the way in which there's a, there's a sort of, I just I had the phrase Waitrose liberalism, oh, which God, came into my head. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sea salt and focaccia, you know, sea salt and rosemary focaccia liberal. Absolutely. <laughs> That's that's it, isn't it? Yes. I mean, that's that's, that's it's in the, the essential uh, range. My favourite thing in the world is the Waitrose essential range. <laughs> tinned artichoke hearts is in the essential range. I yes. love that. What is essential about tinned artichoke I mean, hearts? I mean, I'm the staple of every diet. <laughs> Breads, cheese, milk, oranges, tinned artichoke hearts. Well, I've sort of I've sort of got to. I I think I've sort of um, in this period I've sort of understood you so so much better actually because I think you're a fiery liberal, 
with that sort of in a, in I'm a, a traditional no nonsense liberal yeah, though, no rather nonsense. than a sandal wearing exactly. one. Yeah, no, no, not you're not that sort of liberal. You're not you're not the sort of lefty type of liberal. You're almost a sort of tradi- more traditional sort of pure liberal. Um, and uh, with that sort of also with that sort of aspirational sort of no nonsense stuff. But there was also why did you dislike Mrs Thatcher? I would have thought. That's... Well, I mean, I think you remember, you know, my dad stood to be a Labour MP in the seventy nine election in one, in one of the Dudleys, and I can't remember which one it was. Um, and so I had to go to sleep before the result came through. And he'd lost, I think, on the fourth recount. Um, and yeah, I was just bored. I mean, it seems but you'd a bad like person. her now, wouldn't you? I, I, I've grown to admire her a lot more since. But I certainly remember when she left office in 1990. I was at uni, and I called up my tutor and said, um, I, I, "I can't, I can't come to my tutorial. She's about to leave Downing Street, and I want to see her cry." And I had a picture on my desk of her crying. Yeah, I, I, I was, re- I was over the moon when she left office, and it was only years later. And I cried with joy when Tony Blair got in in '97. I, re- I thought it was just wonderful. And I suppose that's where my journey really changed was because I thought that so many things would change and so many things didn't. You, you know, Mrs. Thatcher was asked what her most significant achievement was once, and she th- stopped and she thought about it, and her answer was Tony Blair. <laughs> yeah, moving the Labour Party to well, a sensible place. Well, I mean, that she, Tony place. Blair was Thatcher yeah. too, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, put it this way, Labour spent a lot of time criticising everything she'd done and, they, as far as I'm aware, didn't actually undo a single thing. In domestic policy, I don't think they undid a single thing, other than throwing a lot of money at things like schools and the NHS, which did need it. So I'm very, I was very, very much in favour of that. But, um, yeah, no, Thatcher was never someone... And also, I, again, this was the aspect of conservatism, and it's still there now, which I don't like, which is that, well, I came from nothing and I did this, you know, she's the, what, the daughter of a grocer, famously, you know, and, and I was fine. Haven't you said a bit of that? Yeah, no, but that's... No, but, but, uh, but I'm aware of that. I'm aware that... You know, if you are, if you know, if you're relatively bright and you and you're healthy and you've had a good family upbringing, you've got that backup. It's much easier to get ahead. And there are lots of people who can't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They can't get on their bike like Norman Tebbit said. They find these things much harder to do. And I say I think a little bit more empathy that not everybody is born and, and raised in a way that they can take advantage of every opportunity life gives them. They're just not. Julia Hartley Brewer, it's been a delight to talk to you. I um I think you're a fascinating person. I guess what I was looking for, and and I, and you have expressed it in a way, is something like a sort of self-critical doubt or. Oh, I um, do. I, I'm I'm very I'm definitely self-critical. I I I think people who aren't are a bit strange, but I don't I don't have crises of confidence in that sense. I don't. Um, I, I, one of the things I find quite complicated and difficult to understand is this constant talk of, uh, I, mean, I understand people who have mental health problems. Again, like I, like everyone else, I have members of their family and friends who've had mental health problems and I'm trying to under, get to grips with those. But in terms of people walking around with these massive questions of self-esteem uh, and, and self-doubt and, uh, uh, I, I, no, I, I, no, sorry, I don't. I just don't. I just don't. And, and, and it's almost like now that you have to have, you have to admit to a problem to be more human. I consider I've been dealt a really great hand in life and I think it would be, frankly, embarrassing for me to pretend I hadn't. And I say I've not been born with a silver spoon and, you know, the double-barrelled name was made up by my Irish immigrant grandfather. I mean, you know, I've accents and my mum got elocution lessons, you know, from her fish and ship-owning parents. So I'm not quite the caricature people think they are. But I think if you, again, I think if you're raised in a loving family, you've had a decent education and people have said to you, you know what, if you work hard and, you know, you can pretty much do anything you want to do, I think you I think and you're healthy. I think you've been dealt a good hand in life and I think to pretend anything different, I think, you know, Frank, you need to good slap in the face. <laughs> That's the place to end. Julia Harley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed. Nice to chat to you. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of Confessions with me, Giles Fraser. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate and review it. And do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be joined by another guest next week for another episode of Soul Bearing. And I do hope you'll tune in then. And do check out the website, unheard.com. Thank you.